believer in Christ, have you been praying for divine intervention or God's help in real, overwhelming needs in your life? Have you asked Jesus to immerse and envelop you in the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that he operated in to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, raise the dead, and perform mighty miracles is available to you today through the same baptism in the Spirit that he himself received. The next few minutes can revolutionize your life as you learn how to be clothed with power from on high. Welcome to the Real Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Lambert. In an hour when deception and apostasy is rampant on earth, the need for proclaiming the real truth has never been more desperate. Jesus prophesied, An hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshiper. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Proclaiming the real truth of the written and rhema prophetic word of God that he is revealing in this hour is our goal. Affecting real change in the hearts and minds of believers in Christ in order to fulfill the purposes and plans of God is our purpose. Friends, Throughout this teaching series, I am leading you on a journey to discover the real truth about a matter second in importance to none except salvation itself, which is the matter of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Each segment of teaching is one vital link in that journey, which leads ultimately to the real truth concerning the role of the third member of the Godhead in your life, whom Jesus himself called the Helper, that is, the blessed Holy Spirit, the living waters of God. God says in Hosea 4, 6, that his people, that means born-again believers, Christians, are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Ignorance or lack of knowledge concerning spiritual matters not only is not bliss, but it is an open gateway to devastation and destruction. Jesus taught that the knowledge of the truth sets free, which inherently means that what you do not know of the truth will keep you in bondage. The unfortunate truth is that many born-again believers are being held captive by lack of knowledge of the truth and deceptions concerning this critical matter of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. 
Now some of the main points I am going to be establishing and providing scriptural support for during the course of this teaching are that 1. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is a separate and distinct or adjunctive experience to the infusion of the Holy Spirit that takes place at the moment of salvation. 2. Regeneration by the Spirit, that is, salvation, the new birth, and the baptism in the Holy Spirit are two distinct and separate workings of the same Holy Spirit. In salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to live within the believer, imparting the fruit of the Spirit, that is, the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. In the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the believer is enveloped by, or immersed in, the Holy Spirit, that is to say, the Holy Spirit comes upon the believer, in contrast to in the believer, and imparts the gifts of the Holy Spirit. These facts are clearly supported by Scripture and are exemplified by the experience of Jesus himself, who is our supreme model. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Jesus explicitly stated that the baptism in the Holy Spirit will be given to any believer who simply asks him for it. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is a gift of grace received by faith and often imparted through the laying on of hands by other anointed believers. Continuing with establishing the point that Jesus himself was baptized in the Holy Spirit and thereby became the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, let's look at another passage of Scripture, which is Acts 2.33. This passage of Scripture comes on the backdrop of what happened on the day of Pentecost, which was that the Holy Ghost came in the form of a mighty rushing wind filled the whole house where the disciples were, and there appeared unto them, it says in verses 3 and 4 of Acts chapter 2, there appeared unto them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And when the devout Jews who had traveled from all over the world to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost heard them speaking in the various native tongues of the regions and nations they were from, some began mocking and accusing them of being inebriated from new wine at this early time in the morning. And the apostle Peter then, after some considerable time had passed, we don't know how long, but he eventually, quote-unquote, stood up, the account says. 
Probably he stood up because he wasn't standing up previously. Probably because he couldn't stand up. Because probably when the Holy Ghost came upon these people, I have no doubt that many, if not all of them, were slain in the Spirit or were unable to stand under the manifest power of this outpouring of the Spirit. And so the Apostle Peter, rising to his feet, he began to preach with new anointing. Three thousand were saved that day as a result of his anointed message. But in verse 33, Luke records that Peter says something particularly powerful and profound. In fact, let's read into it beginning in verse 32. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we were all witnesses. And that's what the power of the Holy Ghost is all about. Jesus said that, you shall receive power to be my witnesses. And this power that was poured out on the day of Pentecost, dunamis power, is supernatural empowerment of the Spirit to be witnesses of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is alive, that He lives yet today, that His power is ongoing that he did not die, death and the grave could not hold him, but he was raised from the dead. Then in verse 33, Peter said, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth, he, Jesus, has poured forth, this which you both see and hear. Now, please understand, it is saying that it is Jesus who is the one that poured this forth. Remember that John the Baptist, the original Baptist, said, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Matthew 3.11 and that is exactly what occurred on the day of Pentecost. Notice also the fact that it says here in this verse, Therefore, having been highly exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, one cannot give something that he has not first received. Jesus received the Holy Spirit, as we have seen previously. We have seen that Jesus was himself baptized in the Holy Ghost, and that, therefore, gave him the authority and capability to baptize others in the Holy Ghost. And it was Jesus himself, Peter said, who had poured out this dunamis power after he had ascended on high and after he had sat down at the right hand of God. This outpouring, then, was a work of Jesus. It was a part of Jesus, for he is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. How, then, could the baptism in the Holy Spirit not be of God? or be of the devil. 
or not be something God wants for his people, as many have been taught and believe, if it is the work of Jesus, something that he did. To purport such is absolutely ludicrous, but worse than that, it is blasphemous. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are inextricably linked or connected. They are both members of the Godhead. If we want to receive all of Jesus, all of God, we must receive what he is pouring out. And he is pouring out the living water of the Spirit via the baptism in the Holy Ghost. He not only did it over 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost, but he is still doing it today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. That same dunamis power is still available to anyone today who would but ask for and receive it through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. To refuse the baptism in the Holy Spirit is to refuse God and his utter blasphemy. Enjoying this podcast? Would you take just a minute to think about all the precious resources it takes to produce and make available a resource such as this? Time, talent, thinking, planning, preparing, studying, writing, editing, organizing, recording, audio editing a multiplicity of post-production and publishing tasks, and on and on it goes. The big professional news and media companies employ 10 to 20 people to produce a presentation such as this podcast at a cost of hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you enjoy the program, would you be so kind as to take a minute and pray to ask God if he would have you lend a helping hand our way in the form of financial support? In about 30 seconds, you can donate at paypal.me forward slash Inc.
Again, that's paypal.me forward slash S-L-M-I-N-C to make a donation of any amount. Your gifts would be so greatly appreciated and used for the glory of God in the production of this program. Thank you, and may the Lord bless you abundantly for your generosity and graciousness. Now, another point that is absolutely vital to extract from this passage is what Peter said. Having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Many Bible expositors try to teach that the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration are the same thing, or that they occur at the same time, or other variations of that hypothesis. And they will put their own humanly invented spin on Acts 1 4 where it says, And gathering them together, Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. And they will say that what it was that the Father had promised was the Holy Spirit in salvation, that salvation is the promise of the Father. Now, my friends, I hate to be so direct, but I must say that that is the most ludicrous and absurd theology, not to mention faulty Bible scholarship, that I have ever heard. And that becomes clear just by reading this first chapter of the book of Acts, where the writer Luke says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. And in his first account that he is talking about, which is the Gospel of Luke, he says in chapter 24, beginning in verse 45, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, as Luke said in the book of Acts, this is talking about right before Jesus ascended on high. Prior to that, when they were in the upper room, is when the apostles and the other disciples were born again. They were infused or filled with the Holy Spirit, receiving the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit in salvation, not on the day of Pentecost, but on the evening of Resurrection Sunday, which many refer to by the pagan assignation of Easter Sunday. 
Churches and Christians make such a to-do of celebrating the resurrection morning on what most of them call Easter, when some of the disciples went to the tomb and found the tomb was empty, just as Jesus prophesied it would be, that few recognize or even know what happened subsequently that day and evening, which is even more significant and miraculous. Outside the empty tomb, when Mary finally recognized the person talking to her, who she had presumed to be the caretaker of the tomb, was actually Jesus, she attempted to embrace him. But Jesus said to her, Mary, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended unto my father. John twenty seventeen. He would not allow her to touch him because he was now the true high priest. All the thousands of years of surrogate Hebrew high priests typified who would momentarily on that resurrection Sunday ascend into heaven to present himself to God as the ransom for our redemption. He was both the spotless, sacrificial Lamb of God whose substitutionary death takes away the sins of the world and the true high priest who would offer up himself as the guiltless redemption ransom that must be paid to purchase pardon for the guilty. In Zechariah 3, is described that glorious exchange that transpired that day when the resurrected Christ ascended and was received into heaven by God. But being touched by a woman during this time of consecration as the high priest prior to his ascension would have defiled and disqualified him as the high priest and negated the gloriously splendiferous transactions that would transpire when he presented himself before the Almighty God and Supreme Judge. But on that resurrection evening, the Bible says, the apostles and one hundred and eight other disciples were in the upper room, having shut and locked the doors for fear of the Jews. And suddenly the resurrected Jesus in his resurrected body came right through those locked doors and appeared to all those present. Praise God! Aren't you glad that Jesus will not allow the doors that we've locked to keep him out of our lives, actually keep him out of our lives? Hallelujah. Jesus burst through those locked doors and appeared unto the 120 disciples present, declaring shalom, because he had now established peace between God and man, and showing them by many convincing proofs, Acts 1-3, that it was indeed he. Do you understand what this story is saying? It is saying that the first word out of Jesus' mouth when he returned to earth after having offered himself to God as the ransom for our redemption was 
peace because he was declaring that all was now well. Peace had been established. The enmity had been removed between God and man. God's righteous and just wrath against wicked sinners, you and me and every person ever born except Jesus, had now been appeased once and for all. Finally, then, he breathed upon them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. John twenty twenty two. It was at that moment that these first disciples received the Holy Spirit in regeneration for the first time, as Jesus infused it into them. At that moment, they became the very first group of people who were ever born again in human history. Think of that. Marvel at that. It is truly marvelous and mind-boggling. No one could have been born again before Christ's substitutionary death on the cross as the Lamb of God or before he descended into hell and rose triumphantly, having conquered death, hell, and the grave on the third day, or before he ascended into heaven to present himself as the true high priest offering up himself as a ransom for the sins and offenses of all humanity. But when he had accomplished all that in three days, he came back in his resurrected spiritual body, announced Shalom, and breathed on the 120 disciples, and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. At that moment, these disciples, all of them, were instantaneously born again and received the regenerative working of the Holy Spirit. But it was after all this transpired that Jesus was saying to the apostles and the other disciples, I am sending forth the promise of the Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Luke 24:49 He obviously was talking about a different promise of the Father, not the promise of salvation, but rather the promise of what happened later on the day of Pentecost. We know that because in the book of Acts, the writer, Luke, records Jesus' words to the disciples in response to their question regarding whether or not what he was talking about was the prophesied time that the Messiah would restore the kingdom to Israel. It is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even the remotest parts 
of the earth. Acts 1, 7 through 8. Then followed all the things that took place that day that I delineated. Then we go again to Acts 2.33, where we read again Peter's exuberant assertion, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise, as I established already, the Father's promise was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Friend, when you truly receive the true baptism in the Holy Ghost, there's no way you can keep it quiet or keep people from seeing and hearing it. You will be filled overflowing with power from on high, and other people will hear it, and other people will see it as they observe all the miraculous things that begin happening in your life. They will hear and see what's happened in your life, for your life shall be significantly and substantively changed because it is now charged with a dimension of divine power that was not there before. For now, you have been imbued with power from on high. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Real Truth. I'm Stephen Lambert. Please subscribe to the podcast, share with your friends, and visit realtruthradio.com to join our mailing list. Be sure to tune in to the next edition of The Real Truth. Until then, this is Stephen Lambert reminding you that with God all things are possible and all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to His purpose.